Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're looking at verses 7 through 10 tonight. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. Ephesians 1 and verse 7. It says, In whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do once again ask for your blessings upon the reading of the text and upon the message that will be presented. God, speak through me. Use these words to accomplish your will. Help us to be attentive to what your word has to say. And Lord, help us to apply it to our lives as well. We're thankful for Christ and all that we have in him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look at verses 7 through 10 of Ephesians 1, I want you to remember, first of all, that we are still making our way through one very, very long sentence. And although you'll find some commas and some periods and things like that uh, along the way, uh, you can assure, be assured that verses 3 all the way down through verse 14 are all part of one very, very, very long sentence. And so we're still making our way through this. We're going to be looking again at verses 7 through 10. Uh, but all of these are connected with the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. And I just want to read this again out of, you know, just, just keeping this fresh in our minds. In verse 3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And so everything that we're going to look at tonight... All the things that we talk about, we're actually going to talk about two different blessings that we have, but this is all part of those spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And, and so we're just going to jump right into this, uh, chapter uh, 1, verses 7 through 8. We're looking at the fact that we have been redeemed, and let's look at a couple of things about this. First of all, we see in verses 7 through 8 that we are redeemed, and we have a problem uh, that we're reminded of there in verse 7. Now, if you look at verse 7, the first part of that, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood. I want us to focus on that word redemption just for one moment. He says, In whom we have redemption. Now, we have moved from the, the person of the Father to the person of the Son and his role in our salvation. And as we're talking about the Son, Jesus Christ, he says there in verse 7, in whom? So this is talking about Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we have redemption. Now, the word redemption points back to a previous problem that we had in our lives, and that is just very simply the problem of sin. Sin had separated us from God. Sin had sentenced us to hell. And so when we look back at the problem that we had before Christ, uh, then we, we understand why it was so important that we be redeemed, that uh, Jesus would offer us redemption. And so this word redeem or redemption simultaneously gives us a glimpse into who we used to be 
and into who we are right now. You see, we were sinful. We were hopeless and helpless and condemned. But now, as we find here in verse 7, now we are redeemed. There is redemption that we have found in Jesus Christ. Now, the word redemption itself is also very interesting. The word redemption means to deliver from or to buy back something. Now, if you think about it in these terms, we were, in the past, we were in bondage, but we've been delivered. We were enslaved, but we've been purchased. We were condemned, but as we find in this verse, we've been pardoned of all of our guilt and all of our shame and all of our consequences of sin, the eternal ones anyway. So we have the problem found just there in, uh, in verse 7 where he, he says that we have been redeemed. There, there was a reason why we had to be redeemed, and that problem was sin. Now, as we continue on, though, we find the price of this redemption. As we continue reading, it says, uh, in verse number 7, it says, In whom we have redemption, how? Through his blood. Right. Through his blood. The price of our redemption was the very thing that, uh, that was required of us. God required our blood. He required uh, our life for breaking his law. Sin always brings death, and our sin deserved exactly that. Our sin deserved death. But Jesus made an exchange, as we find here. We know from, from uh, one of Peter's books that we were not redeemed by material things, that the price of our redemption was not silver and gold, but we were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Now, we find the fact that there was a problem. A problem was sin. There was a price. The price was the blood of Jesus Christ. But now we see the product. What has been given to us? What is the spiritual blessing that we're able to benefit from because of what Christ did at Calvary? We find that as we continue to read on in verse 7. It says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Now look at this. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It says we have redemption through his blood. Now notice what's been given to us. The forgiveness of sin. I love what, it, what this says for us here. Uh, this is the blessing that we have. We have been forgiven of all our sin, of that whole sin debt. Everything has been forgiven. I looked at that word forgiveness just a little bit closer, and I found that the word forgiveness itself uh, has a very particular meaning. It means not just to, not just to say that, uh, that, you know, that we forgive somebody, but that word forgiveness itself means to send away it means to heave something away from oneself. Now, I think when I think of this, I think about a baseball. And in baseball, there are times when you have to, you can kind of lob something over to, to someone that's relatively close. You can, you can throw to get a little bit further. But if I heave a ball, I, I'm, I'm trying to get all the way uh, from outfield to, to home plate. And I, I'm going to heave it as hard as I possibly can. I, I'm getting it as far away from me as I can uh, to an intended target. And, uh, and so when we think about this word forgiveness, what it says is because of the blood of Jesus Christ, God was able to take our sin, the sin that was held against us, and he was able to heave it away from him and away from us as far as he possibly could. I love what the psalmist says. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed 
our transgressions, our sins from us. I also like the definition of forgiveness, which means to release something. Our sin has been released. It's been let go. I think the picture of forgiveness here that we have is almost best explained or illustrated by the Day of Atonement when the high priest would go that one time a year into the Holy of Holies and he would, if you remember, make atonement for the sins of the whole nation of Israel. And we know that the high priest would choose one goat to be that sacrifice. That goat would be slain. His blood would be put into a bowl. Uh, he, it would have to be sprinkled on the altar and it would be brought in and sprinkled before and on the mercy seat. And, and it was a huge process that had to go on for the atonement of our sins. But after all that was said and done, you see, he didn't just choose one goat. He chose two goats. A goat that is called our scapegoat. And this goat... On this goat, he would lay his hands and he would pronounce all of the sins of Israel for that year and lay them upon, symbolically laying them upon the head of that goat. And it says what they would do after this is a fit man, which I I guess means someone who's in good enough shape to go really far out into the wilderness, right? Probably would not have been me, you know. But someone that would go really far out into the wilderness would lead this goat out as far away from the camp as he could and release it out to the wild. Now, the reason why he would do that is, is so that goat would never find its way back to the camp of Israel. What this all symbolizes is, is that not only has our sin been atoned for, not only do we have atonement, but God has taken our sins and he has released it never to find its way back to us. I love what Jesus, uh, well, what Paul said about our, our salvation in Christ. He says, uh, there is no condemnation Therefore, to them who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because not only has that sin been atoned for, it has been completely forgiven. You see, when we look in this verse and it says that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, that means that we're not just pitied in the eyes of God. It means we're pardoned in the eyes of God. It's not held against us anymore. We continue looking on at verse 8, we find that the picture just gets more and more beautiful. In verse 8, it says, Wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. We find that we find two things in this redemption. We find, number one, we have the forgiveness of sins. Number two, in verse 8, we see the abundance of grace that's been placed, placed upon us. Now, I love the wording of this passage, and I want you to remember just for a second that these verses were not originally divided like this. Now, I love the fact that we're able to get to a verse faster uh, because we have verse 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and so on and so forth. I I love that we're able to to go to chapter 1 and verse 7 and find exactly where uh, the pastor's speaking. But the thing is that sometimes what we do is, is we will separate one verse from another because of these number markings. So for just a second, I want you to to blur all those number markings out and and keep in mind this is one long, continuous sentence, that verse 8 is absolutely 
absolutely connected to what's been said up in verse 7 as well. This is all one sentence. Now, what we find is, is that in verse 7, where we're reading up, up in these, these verse before, it says that we have been redeemed and completely forgiven. But the question might come, how was this afforded? Now, we know that the blood of Jesus Christ was given. We know that redemption was given. We know that forgiveness of sin was given. But how was all of this afforded for us? Well, we find this as we read in verse 8. Or down towards the the end of part 7. Look at this. It says, according to the riches of his grace. Wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. How was all this afforded for us? If you look there at the end of uh, what we have is verse 7. It says, according to the wealth, according to God's wealth of grace. Now look, God did not only have a wealth of grace. But I want you to see as we continue reading on in verse 8. But through that wealth of grace, he also caused that grace to be excessively heaped towards us or upon us as we continue reading in verse 8. It says, wherein he has abounded. The word abound means to pour on excessively onto something else. It gives you the idea of a fountain which just continues to pour and spring forth uh, the water that's needed. And he says here that not only have we been redeemed and forgiven according to the wealth and the riches of God's grace, but then in amongst all of that grace that God has, he has abundantly and excessively poured out that grace towards us. Notice this, in all wisdom and prudence. Now someone might say, but I have a lot of sin. Well, that's okay. Because what I find here is that God has a lot of grace. As we continue reading on, we find not only that we've been redeemed, but we see that something has also been revealed to us. And we find that in verses 9 and 10. Now, as we look at verse 9, the first thing that catches our eye is this mystery that Paul begins to speak about. There in verse 9, he says, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. He talks about a mystery here, and I want to speak on this just for a second. Here Paul says that God not only redeemed and forgave us, but then in his wisdom and insight, and according to his good pleasure, he revealed something spectacular to us. Now when we look at this word mystery, a mystery doesn't mean that it's mysterious or that it's difficult to understand. As a matter of fact, uh, Paul was almost speaking on the basis that this is something that was actually easy to understand. But, but what a mystery means is that it's something that was, was once hidden but has now been revealed. Now in times past, this truth, that this mystery that Paul's talking about in times past had been hidden from the eyes of God's people. But he says now he has opened our eyes to this mystery and now we're able to see and understand exactly what God's will and what God's purpose is concerning this. 
One of the ways that God abounded in his grace towards us. Remember, this is still connected to what we looked at previously. He talks about that he, uh, he abounded towards us in grace. Well, one of the ways that God abounded towards us in his grace is that he opened up. He gave us a glimpse into his will and his purpose and his plan. He has opened our eyes to the hidden things of before. And, and now we're able to see these things clearly today. I want you to notice that when we talk about this mystery, it's not just some random mystery, but look at this, as we see there in verse 9, it's the mystery of his will. Look at verse 9 with me again. He says, having made known unto us the mystery, not just the mystery, but what? The mystery of his will. Now, here's the thing. Paul doesn't just say a mystery and then not tell us what it is. We're going to get to the mystery here in just a second. But we find that it's the mystery of his will. And that leads us on to the means of this mystery. As we continue reading on uh, in in verse 9, it says, The mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he has purposed in himself. Now, before we look at exactly what this mystery is, let's look at how God planned it. First of all, as we already mentioned... This mystery, this truth that we're about to see, is according to his will. In other words, this is something that he greatly desires. This is the heart of God. This is, what, this is something that he really wants or desires to see, ha- to see happen. He's passionate about this. Not only this, but we see as we tend to reading in verse 9, that not only is it according to his will, but it's according to his good pleasure, which means that this brings him delight. It brings him joy. This plan, this great plan that he has that we're going to find out here in just a second. Are you ready to find out what it is? Not only is it according to his will and according to his good pleasure, but we see that it's according to his purposes as well. His own plan. What is about to be revealed is a glimpse into the very heart and mind of God. Now, before we see what this mystery is, I want us to understand how this is a spiritual blessing. You see, God doesn't keep us distant. God doesn't keep an arm's length from us. But in that we have been redeemed and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ in that he has poured his grace abundantly upon us. He has brought us very near to him. As a matter of fact, he's opened up and he's given us a look into what his heart and what his passions and what his plan is. Now, what we're going to see is that these are his plans for the future but they're also rooted in what he's doing right now. And we'll see that as we go along. Now, I won't hold you any further on this. Here's the message of this mystery. We find it in verse 10. It says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Now, let me say there's a couple of big words in this, uh, this verse. So I want us to, to pick this apart just for a second. Um, the wording of this verse is a bit confusing in the King James Version. And so I, I want you to allow me, please, to offer a couple of other renderings of what this says. First of all, I want us to look at this word dispensation. And uh, don't, don't run away by looking at that word. 
This actually just means an arrangement, or it has to do with, uh, with the way that God has, has, has planned things. An administration is what it's talking about here. A certain administration or arrangement that God has planned or set up. It's what this word uh, dispensation has to do with. Now, let me give you this in, in a different wording. We're looking at verse 10, so you can read along as I read, or, or you can just listen to what it says here. It says, For the administration of the fullness of times, to bring together all things in Christ, the things in heaven and the things on earth in him. Now here's a second one. I like it even better. It says, Making known to us the mystery of his will, listen to this, according to his purpose which he has set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Now, if that still is a little unclear as to what he's talking about, the, the mystery is simply this. What verse 10 is saying is that God has a plan which will be brought into final arrangements in its proper time. In other words, right now, God is already working on the arrangements and making this thing uh, come together. He's putting all the pieces and pulling all these things together. But there is a day when the fullness of time has come. There is a day that is set forth where this new administration is going to be brought in. And in this administration, all things in heaven and in earth are going to be pulled under the reign and headship and lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's put this in an even simpler term. One day, Jesus is going to be Lord of everything. Now, you say, what do you mean one day? Isn't he already Lord of everything? Yes and no. Now, technically, yes, he's the Lord of everything. But in another sense, he has given permission. He has, he has allowed people to, uh, to make their own free choices and decide not to come under his leadership or, or rulership. Uh, we have, of course, we, we, look, we look around, we have nations that care nothing about God, care nothing about Jesus Christ or how he says to run a country. I'm not going to name any names on that, but, you know, there, there are nations that just have no, they don't care what Jesus says. There are people, there are, uh, are, are people you'll meet every single day. They don't care a thing about what Jesus says or how he thinks life ought to be lived or how he thinks things ought to be done. Unfortunately and sadly, there are churches that don't really care a whole lot about that as well. And, and so the truth is, is that although Jesus is Lord of all, not everything has been brought up in under his rod of, of rulership but one day it's going to be every nation is going to be subject to his kingship his kingdom every person is going to be under his authority and that day is coming I think it's coming soon better get ready for it now this is important to us right now because as people who have been redeemed by his blood, in verse 7, we're also part of this inheritance that we find in verse 11. If you look at just the first phrase there, it says, In whom we also have obtained, what? An inheritance. So listen to this. One day, all things are going to be placed under the administrative rule of Jesus Christ, in whom we have an inheritance. 
Those are some rich promises, rich blessings that we have as part of our spiritual blessings as the people of God. Now listen to this. There is great hope in the fact that one day everything and everyone is going to experience the peace, unity, and love that is associated with being united under the Lordship of Christ. Now, that's a great blessing to look forward to. And we're, we, we praise God in that. We know that he is going to, he's going to come. He's going to rule the nations with the rod of iron. And uh, he is going to be the Lord of all. Yet, here's what I want you to understand. As a part of his family and kingdom, we get to experience that right now on earth. Here's just a very true and sensible principle where Christ reigns there is peace where Christ reigns there's unity where Christ reigns there's love where Christ reigns there's an abundance of blessings and things that that we get to enjoy. Now, what this, I believe, is a promise of is one day Christ is going to reign and this earth is going to experience what it's like when the, when the earth is brought under his rule. But here's the thing. Right now, you can experience that same peace, that same unity, that same love by placing yourself under the reign and lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, you can do that. You want to know how? You, know, you want to know why? You want to know how? Because you have been redeemed by his blood. You have been given the forgiveness of sin. The abundance of his grace has been poured out to you. And therefore, right now, you can enjoy the peace and the unity and love and so on and so forth of his reign right here on earth. What a great promise. It also issues quite a challenge to us. Because here's the thing, even as saved people, sometimes we can attempt to live outside of the authority and reign of Christ. And so we have to conclude that if we look around and we see someone who doesn't have peace in their life, Christ isn't reigning there. If we look at someone who doesn't have love in their life, Christ is not reigning. If there's not unity between them and others... Christ isn't reigning. We can look at a church. We look at our own church. And if we see that there's disunity in our church, Christ isn't reigning. If there is unloving behavior and attitude and thoughts and and words about or towards another person, Christ isn't reigning. And so our challenge is is to make sure that, yes, although everything's going to be brought in under his leadership and, and lordship one day, Our challenge today is to make sure that right now as his people that we're placing ourselves under his rulership. Yes, he's your savior. We found that in verse 7. The question is, is he your Lord? Is he the overruling authority in everything you do? I hope that he is.